We are in part four of our Knowing God series through the book of Job in this year of wisdom, right? 2018, the year of wisdom, where we try to pull things apart and re-look at them and say, are we really seeing things rightly? In this Knowing God series, we realize that the book of Job is not primarily about Job. It's not even primarily about suffering. It's about God, learning about God. So we want to find out how far off are our opinions about God. We need to know who God is. We need to know how he designed the world. We need to know how we ought to operate in this world. And part of that, of course, I think is understanding the issue of suffering. So we're going to talk about that from two different directions. On one hand, I've shared with you before that I believe it is every Christian leader's responsibility to help all the rest of us learn how to suffer well. We're all going to suffer. We can either suffer well or we can suffer poorly. Suffering is a part of being in this world. Okay. But there's another piece that we need to learn, and this is where we're going to be focusing today, and that is how do we walk alongside someone who is suffering? How do we do that well? Because some of us are not very good at it. As a matter of fact, the church is not known historically for caring for those who are suffering well. We pick and choose which suffering people we want to care for and which suffering people we don't. And I don't think that that's appropriate. I think that anyone that is suffering that is in our sphere of influence, we are the ambassador of the kingdom of God for that situation. Therefore, we've got to learn how to do it. Now, I entitled this message kind of a subtle, I don't know if you can kind of pick up on the the vibe of what I was doing there. I don't know if you've seen the title of today's message. Yeah, it's called Stupid Things People Say. All right. So that's kind of direct. Uh, notice what I did not say. I did not say stupid people saying things. That's not actually what I said. I said stupid things people say. A lot of times we do things very well intentioned. We're actually, we love the Lord. We're solid Christian people, but we kind of stumble out of the gate caring for people when they're suffering. We say things that we ought not say. The power of the tongue is extraordinary, is it not? And we have the ability to lift up. We have the ability to tear down. When people are at their most sensitive or the most vulnerable. We need to be able to say things well to them so that we might be a ministry and not a menace. You all following me? All right. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank uh, with just a thought. Um, We as Christians, we sure talk a lot. We talk a lot. We have a ton of opinions, man. I mean, because we're reading the Bible, it's talking about right stuff and wrong stuff and God and hell and all this crazy stuff. So we have a million opinions. The problem is the fill in the blank. The fill in the blank is this. Very few people deal in truth. Very few people deal in truth. What we tend to do is regurgitate information we heard prior. That's what we do. We parlay or forward either verbally, online, whatever. We are consistently sharing information whether we know it to be true or not. It either came from a trusted source or we just think it's interesting. So we keep saying stuff. One of my greatest fears for the modern day local church is that we are creating God in our own image. Y'all following me? Here's what it means. It means that we all mutually reaffirm for one another things about God that may or may not be true. Is anyone willing to go back and figure out if that's really true about God or are we just sharing stuff? Are we trying to what shine Jesus up for all of our friends? Are we trying to make him more palatable to us? Are we trying to 
what, sanitize the Bible and sanitize the gospel so that we like to interact with it. If I do that and you do that, and then I look at you and I'm like, that's right, right? And you go, yeah, totally. Well, now we're both convinced. But what if it's not right? uh, You know, statistics are, uh, some statistics say that it takes between 10,000 and 30,000 hours of study in any given subject to be an expert. Okay, let's play that game. Let's say it's 30,000 hours. You divide that by a 40-hour work week. You're studying it for 40 hours every week for 52 weeks. It's relatively around 14 years of study of one subject. We're simply not experts in things. We're not willing to put in the effort, but we talk as if we are. What I want to do throughout this entire year is consistently unpack stuff and say, whoa, 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 is that right? And one of the things that we have to examine is how are we ministering to other people when they're suffering and how are we suffering ourselves? All right. Having said all of that, would you turn with me to Job chapter two, verse nine? I'm going to tell you a story. The story is about Job's wife, his three friends and a spectator. Job's wife, three friends and a spectator. We're going to talk about As you know, and maybe you're brand new to the series, if you're brand new to the series, what happened to Job was horrific. He lost everything in his life, including all 10 of his children in one day. All of his wealth, his marriage got rocked, everything got thrashed, and all his ability to get wealth back, gone in one day. A little while later, his body was struck with horrific boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is a mess. Everybody around him is watching it and they all have an opinion on what's going on. Are they right? That's who we're going to examine. Let's begin with Job's wife. Now this, this is interesting. This is what I think every great Christian woman should aspire to. Here we go. It's, it's similar to the Proverbs 31 woman. Here we go. Job 2.9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. All right, there we go. Y'all, Valentine's Day is coming up. Mm -hmm. Nothing says love like a teddy bear holding a heart that says curse God and die, right? You understand what I'm saying? Beautiful. Okay. Now, she gets a bad rap, I think, and here's why. This woman just lost her children. I would suggest that none of us have gone through the pain of all of our children passing away in one day. Maybe we have. And I'll tell you what, on lesser miserable suffering days, we've said worse than she did. So let's cut her a little bit of slack, shall we? Because we always say, oh, poor Job. Well, you don't think all that affected his wife? She wasn't even in the grand scheme of things. It wasn't even about her. Yet she loses everything too. The only thing she didn't go through was the physical sores that he went through. So when she lashes out and says, curse God and just die, she's saying, listen, I'm out. I'm done with this. I want nothing to do with this anymore. You know what? You might as well do the same exact thing. Forget it. As much as I understand it, and I do not judge this woman for saying that, Obviously, that's not the healthiest response, right? And sometimes when we are in shared pain, we're not very helpful to each other. 
this is a side note that I would like to give you some wisdom on. And that is, mostly to the singles and the young marrieds, it sounds so dreamy and wonderful. Oh, we're going to get married. You're my new best friend. We don't even need other friends. We're doing all this stuff together. Let's go tackle the world. It's us against them. And the problem with that is when chaos hits your family, you don't have any support system. I'm going to tell you right now, the marriage relationship was never built to sustain all that weight. You have to have friends and a support network. Now, here's the problem. The problem is many of us come to church, we check in, we hear, and we leave. And what's going to eventually happen is that something bad is going to happen in your life and you're going to look to the church and you're going to assume that we're going to come pick you up and we're not. And you're going to say the church failed me and you're going to walk away. Let me remind you of something. We didn't fail you. You failed you. We don't even know you. You check in, you leave, you come, you go. There's no development of friendships. There's no plugging in. There's no shared time. There's no investment. Now, if you've done all that and we failed you, then we failed you. That's true. But the challenge here is that if we're merely spectators, we're not getting to know each other. Do you understand that one of the responsibilities in a local church is to bear one another's burdens, right? What it means is when something is crushing you, the rest of us should come alongside and help lift up the weight off your shoulders for a period of time. We can only do that if we know you. We can only do that if we're invited in. And it's really hard in the last moment to suddenly jump in. We need to be developing relationships. You're going to find out that God thinks that's super important too because it's how the book of Job wraps up. But let's take a look at what Job's response to his wife was. Verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. What did he just say? Hey, hun, the way you're talking right now, I know you're speaking out of your pain because this doesn't sound like you. You sound like one of those foolish women. Honey, we have been together and we have had 10 children together. I would never have been with you if you were just one of the foolish women. You've always been wise, but your suffering has completely blinded you. Okay, so y'all tracking on this because the reason why we need a support network is when we have shared pain, who's supposed to lift each other up? If we're both thrashed, I'm operating on empty. I don't have anything for you. And when you're thrashed, you don't have anything for me. I'm saying, will you pray for me? And you're like, I can't even pray for myself. That's when friends are the intercessors that lift you up because you can't even breathe right now. So he's looking at her. Thank the Lord. He has presence of mind to be able to say, babe, this isn't you. The only reason I'm still thinking clearly, hun, is because I'm not God. God's God. And I don't get any of this stuff. I don't understand any of it. But what I know is that the story is actually about him and it's not about us. So a lot of stuff happens that we don't understand. Okay. Now, Job has three friends. Now, by the time I get done with this message, you're going to be like, those are friends, right? I mean, you're going to say things, the, the common line, right? It, with friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for this. These people just completely thrash him. But I need you to read the beginning with me 
and watch their intention. Here we go. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Okay. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they each came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. By the way, do these all sound like those fortune-telling machines where you get your little thing, like Zoltan, you know what I'm saying? It's like Zoltan, you know. Okay, moving on. (laughs) They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. So I want you to see their intention. They meant well. Look at how far they went, verse 11, or 12. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't even recognize him. He was so messed up. They raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. All right. So whatever we're about to read about these guys, they meant well. They actually did stuff that you and I may have never done. They sat with him quietly for a whole week. Seven days they were with him. And notice that was brilliant. As a matter of fact, their ministry to him was extraordinary until they opened their mouths. Some of us may well do to understand that, right? Where you're probably a better minister silent, okay? Because once you start talking, it starts getting a little crazy. Okay, let me give you another uh, kind of example about this. God has built certain people to be able to minister well in suffering. It's natural to them and easy for them. Other people have to struggle towards it, okay? Let, Let me give you an example. Some of you, because I'm on the microphone or I'm on the radio or whatever, you're used to interacting with me, you have this kind of thought. Wow, I'm in the hospital. I'm suffering greatly. You know what would be awesome? To have Pastor Lance come in here and spend some time and pray with me. Sounds great. It is a terrible idea. You're like, what? Why? Because I'm not peaceful. That's why. Because I'm a talking guy. I can't seem to shut up. So when I come in, I'm like a, I'm like the Tasmanian devil going, come flying into that room, man, you will be entertained, but you will not be comforted. I will tell you that. And here's who, here's who has that gifting. You know, pastor Mark Henkel, he's been on staff here for a really, really long time. He is our pastor of pastoral counseling and care. Amen. Amen. The reason why. He is that is because he can do things I can't do. He comes in in gentleness. He comes in in quiet and he will come in and sit with you. And it's like a blanket of comfort settles down over the room. And it's like the Holy Spirit breathes quiet. Okay. Do you understand how powerful that is now? Like Bishop Loveless, right? Bishop, he's, he has this gift where he comes in and has that kind of soothing nature about him where you kind of go, ah, just because he's around, right? Okay. Some of the rest of us have to work on it. Some of the rest of us need to remember, shh, right? You don't have to always talk, that kind of thing. All right, moving on. Now, Good guys. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the three guys, and they go back and forth in the book, and they intertwine their conversations. So I'm going to make it easier. Let's just handle one at a time. We'll handle 
Eliphaz, then we'll handle Bildad, then we'll handle Zophar. All right, moving on. Eliphaz, let's begin with his first friend. I'm going to call him the well-intentioned, ignorant, mystical Christian friend. What in the world? Let's say that again. Here we go. The well-intentioned, ignorant, mystical Christian friend. I may be this friend in your life. <laughs> Here's why. If you have a hyper-charismatic friend, if you have somebody that kind of interacts with the prophetic and the you know, kind of dreams and stuff like that, if they're interested in healing and all that stuff, this may be that friend for you. They operate in a very, very different way. That's this guy. He means well, but man, he is not helpful because he hasn't learned the maturity to utilize his gifts appropriately. All right, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But let's take a listen to what he has to say. Job chapter 4, verse 3. He said, Job, behold, you have instructed many and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who is stumbling and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it's come to you and you are impatient. Oh, it touches you and you're dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? What did he just say? Hey, Job, we've been together a long time. We've been buddies, right? Like we've run in the highest circles. We're the pastoral counselors, yeah? And a million people have suffered under our watch. What do we always tell them? Christians don't suffer. Just stop sinning and it'll all work out. Job, you know this. Now all of a sudden you're suffering and you're like, oh, something's wrong. I'm innocent. You're starting to do this whole thing. You're like falling apart. What you're, you need to walk the talk, brother. We've been telling everybody this for years. Christians don't suffer. Suck it up. Put on a happy face and let's roll. Okay. Any problems with this? Yeah. Okay. So that's not healthy, <laughs> right? So let's break that down a little bit. Let's talk for a moment about this whole idea. I want to talk about Bridgeway culture. Bridgeway culture, I think I've demonstrated from up here and along with the other teachers that have come up here, we have demonstrated authenticity, transparency, and honesty. Have we not? All right. We will always try to be honest with you and tell you what's really going on. So there is never, and we will always shame this in our culture, there is never a call for you to put on a plastic face and live a lie. You understand what I'm saying? I don't believe in that. I don't believe in a Christianity that's fake. I only believe in a Christianity that's real. So I want you to be the real you, but I need you to be the best you. Here's what I mean. Some of us, when we go through suffering, we refuse to let God heal us. We just sit in suffering. God, you're not allowed to touch that area of my life. You can minister to me and sanctify me in every other area, Holy Spirit, but not that one. And you just remain a broken victim forever. That's not God's best for you. So no, I don't want you to be fake, but yes, I want you to be healthy. That means that you actually have to lean in and let him minister to you. Because although we're not going to be fake, I believe because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we should always lean towards hope, help, health, and victory. I think that is the way of the Christian. Now, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad weeks. You may have bad months, but you can't stay there. We've got to lean in to what God has done and let him minister to us. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. He's got more to say. Verse 12. Job, now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it amid thoughts from visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. 
Dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I couldn't discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Well, that sounds fun. What did he just say? Job, I kid you not, dude, I had a dream. I don't know if it was a visitation. I don't know if it was a dream. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know what it was. There I was. I was laying in bed, right? And this figure walks into my room, completely freaked me out. Hair standing up on the back of my neck. It comes in and it just stares at me. Then all of a sudden it starts to talk and it says stuff like this. Who is man before God? You know that God does not trust even his angels. He nails them to the wall. How much more is he going to nail human beings to the wall that are nothing but clay? Dude, I had this dream. I had this visitation. I kid you not. It's totally about you. Man, you are way out of line. God's got all kinds of hatred towards you right now. Okay. Anybody finding some problems with this? Okay. So first problem is that Something's wrong with a message. It starts out with uh, questions about God. Who's the last character that brought up questions about God? Did God really say don't eat from the tree? Do you remember that? Who's the one that tends to bring up questions about God? Hmm. Something's a little mysterious about this voice, right? And then it's like, oh, he holds angels accountable. He nails them to the wall. Who feels that way? Lucifer. Okay, so I'm, here's my problem. I'm not sure this is a godly spirit. But this guy has not learned the maturity to filter that out and go, I need to figure out from the Lord whether or not that thing that just visited me is from him or not. I'm just going to spew it. Okay, real quick cultural thing for Bridgeway. I, as your pastor, will consistently say, we need more prophecy in this church. We need more signs and wonders. We need more walking in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need more all kinds of movement of the supernatural. I will continue to say that. Why? Because it's biblical. Amen? Okay. Now, to balance that out, we need to learn how to utilize that and be mature and handle it appropriately. Why? Because some of us think that just because we saw it, we need to talk about it. Just because we heard it means we got to say it. That is incorrect. That's immature. You may have heard something, but you got to take it back to the Lord. You may have heard something. That doesn't mean you need to tell it to the person. It may just be for you to pray for them. We need to grow up in maturity of handling supernatural encounters. The, because if we don't, there's extraordinary damage that can happen. This guy all of a sudden told Job, a figure from heaven came to me and told me that God's mad at you. What's he supposed to do with that? All you got is, nuh-uh. <laughs> right? What well, you're going to argue with his experience. You're going to argue that he didn't really see something. Do you understand when you start wrapping things in spiritual labels, people have nowhere to move. 
They don't know how to interact with it. So our responsibility for those of us that operate in the supernatural is bring maturity and wisdom to the table. Then it becomes a blessing and not a curse, right? He was misled. He didn't filter it. He poured out that garbage. All right, let's move on. Chapter five, verse eight. He said, by the way, I'm looking at your suffering, Job. Let me tell you some, some advice. Here we go. Verse eight. As for me, if it were me, Job, well, I would seek God and to God, I would commit my cause who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth. He sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Wait, what? What did you just say? If you were me, you would pray. Thank you, genius. You think I haven't been praying since the moment this thing started? Come on, what kind of response was that? You know what, dude, if I were in your shoes, I'd totally pray. Yeah, I know. I have been praying. And when you tell me that, you make it sound like you think I'm not praying or somehow I'm praying wrong. And that's why I'm still in this mess. You know what? That's not very nice, buddy. I'm praying my guts out and nothing is changing. So I'm heartbroken and you getting all up and spiritual and holy roller on me doesn't exactly help, right? Oh, look, it only gets worse. This is fantastic. Look at verse 19. Job, he will deliver you from six troubles in seven. No evil will touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death. In war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue. You shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And shall not fear the beasts of the earth. Verse 27. Behold, this is what we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Dude, did you go old English on me? Is that what you just did? Like literally right in the middle of it, you were like, not only will you overcome, nay, I say. We're like, what? Did you just say nay? Nobody says nay anymore. What? Why are you suddenly changing how you're talking to me? It's me, buddy. Like we're just talking guy to guy, lady to lady. We don't need to get all, oh, oh, all right? It, it's like, you know, they're off six thing. Nay, I say they're off seven thing. Right, what, you can't count? You didn't know you were heading to seven? You just stopped at six and went, oh, shoot, I have another one. Okay. Sometimes we get so religious about everything when someone in any situation happens, even suffering, we put on our little super Christian tights, hike those suckers up, right? Put on our leotard. We've got the big SC on our chest, right? And we're like, God is an overcomer. He will come upon you in a mighty way, right? And it's like, it's just me. We're the only ones in the room. Like, uh, you don't need to count for me. Just... God's good. Okay, great. All right, moving on. The, the problem with it is that I'm no longer listening to the suffering. I'm too busy being supernatural and spiritual. It's like I'm in my own little monologue and I'm just going to talk about things I heard at the Christian bookstore. But what about us? Okay. So... He's still got some more things to say. Chapter 15, verse 9. What do you know, Job, that we don't know? What do you understand that's not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Okay, that's another unfair statement. Here's what he just said. Job, we know better because we're older than you. That's not fair. Because it's a manipulation tool. 
hey, we're disagreeing about what's going on with you, but I'm saying I'm right and I'm right because I have more wrinkles than you. Is that what makes you wise? Or is it God that makes you wise? that, That whole manipulation tactic where we start using our station in life to kind of lord it over other people to win the argument, that's not okay, right? So Job responds and he says this in chapter 6, 15. My brothers are treacherous, verse 21, for you now have become nothing. You see my calamity and you're afraid. Have I said, make me a gift or from your wealth offer a bribe for me? What did Job say? Guys, you're not helping. My suffering is freaking you out. Like you walked up and saw what happened to me and you can't somehow biblically reconcile it. And so you start throwing verses at me because you're afraid that my cooties are going to get on you. Like you're looking at my suffering and you're like, that better not happen to Christians. There better be a reason why you meant this for yourself because I don't want to be afraid that this is going to happen to me. And when you start to panic, you start to shove religion at it. He's like, that is not helping me. And by the way, Eliphaz, did I ever ask you for a gift? Did I tell you to come here and fix my suffering? I did not. You showed up. I never asked you to solve it because I didn't think you could solve it. You're just a human being. You can't solve my problem. But I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to be with me because I'm hurting. That's what I asked you to do, right? Eliphaz isn't done. Chapter 22, verse 5. Is not your evil abundant, Job? There's no end to your iniquities. Okay, he's slipping. He's so in the argument phase, he is now making up stuff that Job did wrong just to make sure that this fits his theology. That's so messed up. Job doesn't even respond to the guy and he just starts looking for God. God, where are you? I don't want to talk to this guy. Where are you, Lord? I can't find you. All right. Second friend, Bildad. Bildad, I'm going to call him the theoretically harsh Christian friend. He's your intellectual friend. The one that keeps reading commentaries. The one that is reading so many philosophy books, but he cannot engage with the emotions of what's going on. Can't cry with you, just has to philosophize everything. Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, here's kind of how it goes. Chapter 8, verse 1. Okay, we're going to be all over the place. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, Job, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice? No. Does the Almighty pervert the right? No. If your children have sinned against him, he's delivered them into the hand of their sin. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you're pure and upright, surely he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Uh, Did you guys catch it? Job, I'm thinking through it. Here's the reality. All your kids died because they were sinful. Come on. Okay. Whoa. Did you just talk about my kids? No, 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 buddy. You crossed the worst line. Don't you ever talk about my children like that. I don't care if it's true. I don't care if it's in the realm of right. You do not talk about my children. You do not say they died because they were sinful. What is wrong with you? 
That's not how you minister to someone. You're so up in your head, you didn't see that that would have been hurtful? You talked about my children. I just lost them. Oh, is this not brutal? You guys, sometimes we have that cold, harsh response with people. We can't get into their emotions. So we just keep it up here in the clouds. Job answered and said, Truly I know that it's so, but how can a man be in right before God? Buddy, let's say you are right. That was not helpful at all. Chapter 9, verse 27. If I say I'll forget my complaint, I'll put off my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of my suffering, for I know you won't hold me innocent. Bildad, is that what you want? You want me to put on a happy face? Are you tired of my suffering? I've got to move on, right? Because you're done with it. So I'm going to put on a happy face. You know what happens if I put on a happy face? I'm living a lie. I'm not going to do that. I'm hurt and I'm allowed to hurt. Bildad keeps attacking Job. He just won't give up on any of this stuff. Is it really a great time to attack somebody in suffering about their sin? Huh. Job answers in chapter 19, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. What does that mean? Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't an alarm go off in your head that you're not supposed to be mean to me? I mean, you keep saying that you're a Christian. You keep saying that you know God. You keep saying that you know the truth. You're mean. And that doesn't bother you? Like you've justified it somehow. You've, you've put it through some lens where you can act however you want that because you're going to defend God's reputation, you're going to look through the end justifies the means. Does it? Because I think Jesus was also about the process. And I don't think this is how Jesus acted. So this whole business about how you're going to thrash me for my sin. Okay, let's say... I have sin in my life. Now, we're going to disagree on that, whatever. Let's say I have sin in my life. Is that not between me and God? When did you become my moral police? Do I answer to you? Are you my God? Or is God my God? But in the midst of my suffering, is it really the best time for you to deal with my sin? Okay, let's make it practical. The church has not done a great job in ministering to different communities around, right? Communities that really have high suicide rates, extraordinary depression rates, extraordinary anxiety rates. And you know all we can talk about? Their sin. Is that appropriate? Are, are we God? Is that, do they have to answer to us? Oh, we're going to protect God's reputation, right? Because he can't handle himself. He can handle himself. At some point, an alarm should go off for us and say, being mean is not right. There's a different way to go about it. There's a different way to have uncompromising truth and unconquerable love. Do you understand? There's a different way to bring truth and love. You've got to question your motives. Why are you so interested in my sins? Why do you want to hunt me down and talk about my problems? 
Did God ask you to do that? Okay. All right, so the thing is, is that Bildad ends up and saying, no man is pure, you're completely a sinner. And so Job reacts, chapter 29, verse 11. Chapter 29, verse 11. When the ear heard, you want to talk about my life? You keep calling me a sinner, right, Bildad? Is that what you want to talk about? You want to talk about how much of a sinner I am? Okay, let's talk about this. When the ear heard about me, it called me blessed. When the eye saw me, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was the eyes to the feet, uh, eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I'm not just a good guy. I'm a great guy. Keep telling me I'm a sinner. You want me to go back through my life? I'll go back through my life. I've been thinking about it a lot. I am nails in righteousness. Anybody see any problem here? When you as a sufferer start getting in arguments with people that are attacking you, your whole eyes turn inward. I'm righteous. I don't deserve this. I'm better than this. I'm a good guy. You see what happened? You just slipped. The enemy got you. Because you're trying to justify why this shouldn't be happening. Do you understand that self-centeredness grows strongest at either pole? Pride and despair. The proud are self-centered and the despairing are just as self-centered. Why? Everybody's looking at themselves. Where did God go in this picture? Ah, that's the problem. All right, so let's go with number three, guys. So far, he's as short. I call him the super callous Christian. He's just flat out mean. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse three. Should your babble silence men, Job, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, my doctrine is pure. I'm clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open up his lips to you. He would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then, God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. What did he just say? You should be suffering worse. Thank you. All this horrible stuff that happened to you, man, looking at you now, should have all been worse. That is not helpful right? Unfortunately, what it caused Job to do is Job's reaction said, you know what? It doesn't even matter how I live. God makes the wicked prosper. He makes the righteous prosper. Who cares? Now he's getting drugged down a path. He doesn't need to be going down. Now he's blaming God. All right. uh, 25.4. So these three men seized to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They had to stop talking because they weren't getting anywhere with him and and Job was righteous in his own eyes. Once again, I don't think that's good. I don't think that our pain should be allowed to make us completely self-focused. All right. Meanwhile, there's a spectator. His name is Elihu. He's been watching this entire thing. Here's what he says. Hey, guys, can I say something real quick? Because I'm about to blow. I am so frustrated listening to you guys. You're all out of line. You don't even know what you're talking about. And I was super respectful because you're all older than me. I get that. But now that you're done, I'd like to say something. Is that all right? First of all, wisdom doesn't come with age. It comes from knowing God. I don't care if I'm younger. I have something to say. Chapter 33, verse 9. Job, you say I am pure without transgression. I am clean and there's no sin in me. 
You say, behold, God finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Behold, in this Job, you are not right. I'll answer you for God is greater than man. Verse 31. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent and I'll speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak. I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent and I'll teach you wisdom. What was his point? Job, you keep saying you're this and you're that. Self-justification is not the place we got to start, buddy. We can't start from there. We got to focus on the Lord. Second thing, you're way out of line. You keep saying God's a bad guy. No matter what you're telling me, I can tell you right now, God's not a bad guy. You're saying stuff you ought not to say. Your pain is skewing you. Please don't do that. Our God is just. Our God is loving. And that's it, period. We don't understand, but that's the truth. Look at chapter 36, verse 26. Behold, God is great, but we know him not. 37, 13, whether for correction or for God's land or for his love, he causes things to happen. Hear this, O Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Verse 23, the almighty, we can't even find him. He's great in power, great in justice, abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Job, we don't get it, but God is good. Okay, Elihu never gets rebuked by God. Why? Because he's the opening for God to come in and go, yeah, right? I mean, that's really what happens. He's saying what God's saying. We've been talking a lot this message about people saying the wrong things, but it is also possible that God is speaking through some of your solid counsel, your friends, and he's trying to get a word to you and you're not listening. Because sometimes our pride is that we don't want to listen to anybody else. But what if God's speaking through them? What if he is trying to make a difference in your life? All right, let's wrap this whole thing up in chapter 42, verse 7. Ready? Let's wrap it. Here's what God's opinion is on the whole matter. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. What happened? God said, all right, we're going to wrap this up. You all need to stop talking. You three friends, you're not helpful. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're just spouting religious words. You don't even know me. Stop. And you know what? Instead of just blowing you guys off the map, I actually need to do something. I need you guys to come bring burnt offering sacrifice. I need you to go to Job and I need you to say you're sorry. Job, I know you don't want to do this, but I need you to forgive them and I need you to pray for them. And I'm going to hear your prayer. Once you trigger this, we're going to be all right. Why did God do it that way? Because God is smart enough to know that mankind still needs community when everything clears. When all the smoke clears, Job would have been all alone. God restored his Christian community around him. Because I'll tell you this, 
after Job went through this process, do you think he ever wanted to have any friends again? No way. His friends were the ones that hurt him the most. But God knew that he needed them, so he forced reconciliation. Brilliant, yes? Ah, God is so good. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Listen, if we are hurting and suffering, please do not allow your suffering to ruin your view of God. God is good. We don't understand. I don't have all the answers for you. But I know that God is good. I know that He is right. If you're walking with someone in suffering, please come in with humility, gentleness, wisdom, and grace. Yeah? All right. So here's what we're going to do. As I opened up, words have the power to heal and the power to destroy. Yes? They said a lot of stuff that Job's going to have to work out. Even though he knows they're wrong, it still stuck to him. So here's what I want to ask you. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have had people say things about you that are not true? As a matter of fact, it could have been when you were a child. It could have been when you were in a relationship and they said things about you and it's not in the past because you're still playing the tape over and over in your head every day. You can't move forward because someone spoke into your identity and they distorted it because they said things that were not life-giving. They were wrong. And you're still living with that hurt. Those of you that said, that is me, I want you to stand up. Stand up. Please. You're still playing that tape, still hearing those things, okay? The reason why I have you standing up is not only intercession, but we're going to raise our hands out, meaning symbolically you're standing up before the Lord and saying, God, I need some healing. I need my mind renewed. I need to be washed. You ready to do this? Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we are standing here asking for your freedom. We are asking for renewal. We are asking for a washing of our minds. That God, what they said about us, it's not right. Even if it was right. Lord, the way that they said it, the way that they spoke it into our lives, it has wrecked us and we can't even let it go. We're operating and letting it shape our identity and it's not right. In the name of Jesus, we are not a mistake. We are not what's wrong with this world. We're not the problem. We're not the cause of all that is evil. We are not a failure in Jesus' name. We say, God, wash us. Remind us of truth. Let your truth chase out the lies and the negativity and the hatred and the meanness and the mean-spiritedness that has been poured into our lives. God, we need our souls washed. We need our minds washed. We need our spirits washed because, God, we let it sit in there too long. And now it's got a stain. Your word says, though our sins be as scarlet, you can make them white as snow. You said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You said that he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. You said we are precious to you. You said that you began a good work and you're still working on us. You said, God, that we are your masterpiece. 
You said that you love us and you'll never forsake us. You'll never leave us. You said that we are valuable. You said that we are precious. You said that we have meaning. You said that we have purpose. They don't know what they're talking about. God, would you cut off their words? Would you let us be free? God, we don't want to keep beating ourselves up. Satan already got us. And we've been clubbing ourselves over the head ever since. In the name of Jesus, we say no more lies. No more distortion of the truth. No more evil being spoken over us. We break all that off in Jesus' name. And for all my friends standing here, Lord, washing and washing and washing over their hearts and minds, you be the loudest voice in their head. You, God, the one that speaks life and truth and goodness and healing. Can I have everyone stand for a moment? Holy Spirit, would you take all of our minds in your hands and begin to reshape and refashion and remold them into what is healthy and right. God, we are probably operating off some things that people said that we didn't even know about. It's like it's stuck in the back. God, I ask that you would go in the back, that you'd open up that chamber, that you'd unlock that door and that you would breathe life in there, that you'd bring light in there, and that you would chase out the cobwebs and the bats and all the scary stuff that's in there. Lord, would you take out the yuck that mankind has put in? We submit to you and your voice alone. You, God, are the only one that knows. You're the only one that has the right to speak into our lives. You're the only true voice. And so voice of truth, speak into our hearts and minds today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The altar is open. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time.